0: i mean he's like the giorgio he goes i make money taking bets on guys like you he goes what would you do if i gave you a bunch of money tomorrow and i said i'd go start a siri tech company
1: one path is a long winding unpaved back breaking bumpy miserable road to a place called success the other road is straight paved smooth comfortable and that road ends up in a place called failure Welcome to the show. I am Kyle Matthews on the Matthews Mentality Podcast, where we dive into the mindset of the world's most driven founders, CEOs, business moguls, athletes, and entrepreneurs. Each episode will turn our guest' wisdom into practical advice that will help you build a deeper understanding of what led them to success and the mentality behind what got them there. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the Matthews Mentality Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me, a good friend of mine, founder and CEO of one of the newest and most highly trafficked technology websites in the commercial real estate space. I wouldn't say one of. I would say the. No, no, that. for real. Thank you. Okay. The most highly trafficked technology website in the commercial real estate space. Krexi Mike Mike DiGiorgio. Mike founded Crexy in 2015 after identifying an inherent need to create an open marketplace and technology solution for the commercial real estate industry. Prior to founding Crexy, Mike helped establish Auction.com, now 10X, the online auction platform where he spent four years managing teams and earning a reputation as one of the top sales producers in the company. There, Mike managed 400 plus commercial real estate transactions and teams totaling 1 billion, over 1 billion, over four years. That's a lot. Mike earned his business degree from Northern Illinois University, Go Huskies, from which he won the 2018 Outstanding Young Alumni Award, and where he also serves as a visiting lecturer teaching entrepreneurship to business students. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to Nash, Vegas. I love it here. We had a good dinner last night.
0: It's good to be here. It's yeah. Good to be here. It's
1: a fun town. I'm going to get you out here one day.
0: The, uh, the hype is real.
1: We're not going to talk exits or anything cuz you guys have a big big vision, but you should move here before that day comes. It's nice here. Cali's going to get it. Nice it's nice here and it's tempting. Yeah,
0: Cal- Cali's going to get it. I also caught you guys on a 3-day stretch of perfect weather, California weather.
1: That is true. That is true. We have wonderful weather and that is California has has beautiful weather, no doubt. Um California's a beautiful state. There's a lot there's a lot I miss, but there's a lot I love about Tennessee. Um, There's more than one wonderful place to live is what I found out. But how did we meet? I'll tell you, when I first, like, how I view our relationship starting, we're sitting in a large conference room in El Segundo. Yep. This was 2016, I want to say.
0: Beginning of 2016.
1: Beginning of 2016. And I've always looked at Crexie and Matthews as kind of kindred spirits, like Basically, bizarre versions of each other's company. <laughs> um, both in the commercial real estate space, though different. You're on the technology side; we're more on the transaction side. Um, and you started in 2015. Matthew started in 2015. The the energy and cultures uh, are very similar, and I mean that in the most positive way. Uh, there is a lot of energy, a lot of young men and women building their careers, making it happen. Um, you know, I think this word is thrown around too much, but very much, and I'll use it to describe you guys disrupting um, your your industry for sure. And we're sitting in a large conference room, and it was you and some of your teammates, me and some of my teammates. We were talking about Crexy and you were educating us on who you guys were. And uh, part of the reason we took the meeting, I remember this vividly, is the agents were like, hey, like we really like this Crexie thing over um, what at the time was really the only service, LoopNet. We really are getting better results from the, the, the Crexy platform than LoopNet. And, and again, this was new. So I said, okay, let, let's meet with these guys. And you walked us through who you were and why you were doing what you were doing and what the, the need was and what the opportunity was. And I was like, man, this is fascinating. And um, it's, been, it's been awesome to see how much you guys have grown People often talk about Matthew's growth, but you guys, as much if not more, in your space over the last eight years, and and credit to you and your teammates, man, it's been it's been really cool.
0: Well, we're not here without you, and that's the nicest plug you could have possibly given us. So I do appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we
1: did, we did, we did. You know, hand over three, four hundred listings in 2016. So hopefully that helps. I so think we only
0: had three hundred on the side at the time. Is that so. for
1: real? Oh, you definitely lied to me yeah. that day. You said you had a couple thousand because I was trying to get. I was trying to is like, hey, if we're gonna bring this over, like. You know, throw me a bone here, give me a little money, but you're like, nah, we don't we don't need your business, all right? And I was like, all right, fair
0: fair well, play. Well, you guys had a real business at the time. We, were just, <laughs> we had a vision and uh, and some engineers building some. some
1: yeah, tech. yeah, no, it's it's done great. It works. It's it's one of many services we provide here to the agents um, in terms of uh, helping them execute a high level for their clients. And I know you guys again have grown and you've added so many different. Um, I'm not gonna say service lines. That's that's brokerage speak, but so many different new layers and aspects to crexy since you and I first met.
0: Well, it's been fun watching you guys from afar too, Kyle. I mean, what you've done is, is unprecedented in the industry and I love working with your brokers. You guys bring energy and the culture you guys have created has been phenomenal to see and, and from afar and to, we try to mimic it in a lot of ways because it's, it's pretty special.
1: I appreciate that. We, we work hard and we throw great parties. Um, so hopefully I can be at your party one day when yeah. you have that big event. Absolutely. Like a, an honorary you guest. Be you better be there. What, what is a typical day in the life look like today?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I can plug a few of my uh, morning habits into this. So I, uh, I wake up typically without an alarm around 5.36. Uh, I immediately check my, my whoop. Uh, I saw you have the whoop, too. We talked about this a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying, to say, ta- I'm
1: trying to take better care of
0: myself. Yeah, I'm trying to take better care of myself. How did I sleep? What was my recovery? How much strain and stress did I have the day before? Uh, and get a sense of, like, how I'm going to, you know, just what last night looked like. Um, you know, No
1: alarm. No alarm. They no. call that i They call that the anxiety alarm.
0: Yeah, no alarm. I uh, if I have to be out the door at five forty five or six for a flight, I'll set an alarm. But typically, I like to let my body get up more naturally, and I get up early anyways. Um, I then do the very tech thing, which is jump in an infrared sauna for forty minutes. Um, <laughs> Such a tech bro, you know. I uh, follow the trends, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and um, forty minutes in the sauna. While I do that, I plug through some emails. I don't know if I should use my phone in there or not, but. That's my chance to catch up on emails, do a little light reading, just get set for the day. Um, see if I missed anything major the day before. You got to
1: turn the heat up in the sauna. F- if you're doing the sauna right, that phone will overheat in ten minutes. So you, you know, it sounds like you might be a little soft. It's one forty infrared.
0: That's, just, I think that's is that one You got to
1: get up to like one eighty.
0: It doesn't get that high. The highest it uh-huh. goes is like one forty five. Yeah,
1: maybe that's an infrared thing. But yeah. all right, so you sauna it, and then sauna, what happens?
0: Cold shower. Um, I have a five and a half year old daughter. I spent fifteen minutes with her. Uh, she's actually just started kindergarten and she has to be at school now at 7:30. So I think my new, is this,
1: is this her first like full on school?
0: She had preschool for most of the day, but this is her first full day where she gets in early. So I'll probably take her to school at 7:30. Uh, I get to the office. I, I do my more tech bro things where I do athletic greens, my magic minds. I'm trying to trying to be more healthy in the morning.
1: You, you micro dose ketamine every day just yeah, to, yeah, no, I, I
0: read that I read that about Elon Musk, he does yeah, that every day. I was yeah, like, yeah, that
1: no. can't be good for you.
0: People swear by that, uh, but I, don't, I haven't gone that far yet. Um, then I turn on all the data, right? I turn on my, to Salesforce, I wanna see the sales team's performing, I wanna see how many calls everybody's mm-hmm. making. I get my Gecko board and Tableau dashboards up, which really track like all the metrics on our site so we can see who's on the site, who's signing up for the site, how many people there are, what actions they're taking. You know, how many offers are being submitted on properties do
1: you, do you live and die 24 hours at a time or or over the years have you coached yourself not to in within like a 24-hour period if the pipeline goes up get too high or if it has no no
0: it's a high. way for me to be able to shoot a note to a performer who closes a big deal that day or who puts an extra effort that Got day, it. which goes a really long way you know just a, sure. a friendly reach out yeah. and then it just kind of sits in the background i spend a couple hours answering emails and then I'm diving into one-to-ones with our product team, our engineering team, marketing, sales, just trying to really get a grasp of the. Spend a lot of time with investors. Um, a lot of my time is managing our many investors, our board.
1: We're I'm hey we're good investor. You don't you don't spend any time managing me, man. You're easy. Yeah, I'm easy. You're easy. Do me a favor to tell the audience about Kraxi. Let's not assume they know sure. who you guys are and what you do. Because again. I'm sure a chunk of our audience is commercial real estate, and they likely know Crexy but but there's a lot, especially people who reach out that aren't necessarily in the space. So who is crexy What do you do?
0: Yeah, so it's a marketplace for buying, selling, leasing, commercial real estate. It's anything from office, retail, industrial, multifamily, self-storage, land. We do note sales, non-performing loans, and performing loan sales. Um, it's a full-on data offering, uh, which competes with all of the CRE data out there. So if you need to understand who owns buildings, what buildings sold for last, Um, you know, what the loan is on the deal, when the loan expires, what the interest rate is, any real factors that can help you underwrite, put a BOV together um, and understand just markets. Um, So it's a full on data offering. And then it's got a lot of workflow tools built in where you have like uh, CRE, uh, CRM, you have CRE marketing tools, you have closing dashboards where you can run a CRE closing digitally through the site. Uh, You can run like call for offers processes and a lot of the workflow.
1: What are some of the biggest or what is the biggest opportunity um, that, that, in your opinion, exists for Crexy
0: today? I mean, we have a massive team now and a brilliant team really focused on AI. Um, it's a buzzword, I know, and that's one I was hesitant to use historically. But the team is so focused on trying to use AI to be able to really gather and and, and consolidate the CRE data in a place where professionals at Matthews can, can really be the most powerful agents they can be and the industry can be as quick and as liquid and as transparent and as efficient as it can be. Um, And that's how we're trying to really aggregate the data and to be able to turn that data around in a way that allows you guys to be as the best at what you do as you can be.
1: So very much on the data side.
0: Very heavy on the data
1: side. And, And your existing kind of, what I say, your core product, which was what I simply call the listing service, you feel like that's really baked out that highly efficient? Or are you are there ways you're looking to improve that as well?
0: Always can get better. Always can get better. I think we need to make the ha- the more accurate the listings are on the site, the more quality users that we have that are engaging in your guys properties that you have listed on the site. That's an ongoing effort for us. And I think the real vision when we started it was we have to really nail that piece. So guys like you would be kind enough to use us. And if we did that really well, we'd have data that we have access to um, that no one else gets access to. And if we could package that data in the right way, we could kind of bring everybody into one place as opposed to having to use 10 different softwares to to help kind of function your day to day.
1: What are the biggest challenges? I asked opportunities, but what are the biggest challenges that you're facing or your company's facing today?
0: I mean, look, I think one, things are going really well. Uh, But if there is one to point to, it's how do you scale the culture of like young, hungry, gritty, ambitious, fun, caring people that really like treat the place like it's theirs. I tell every employee that joins This is your company. You own a piece of it. Treat it like it's yours. If you do that, you're going to do great things here. Um, But when you're, you know, 500 people, 400 people. How many people do you have? 350.
1: And uh, is that all in one mega office or are you decentralized?
0: Decentralized. We have our headquarters in Los Angeles, which, you know, at one point we had you there, which was great um, in L.A. uh, Not at our headquarters. Um, And then we have Miami. We have um, an office down in Newport Beach. Uh, And then we're starting to build, like, hubs. So hopefully we can get everybody back into an office. But we have a hub in Dallas, Raleigh, and Phoenix. Um, where one day we want to kind of build a presence in a hub and maybe here next.
1: I of all people would like to think I can understand the challenges of, of exporting culture and and therefore keeping it consistent across. I don't say it's, it's never easy. Um, but when you're in one office, whether you're 30 or 300 people, one office, I would say it, it, it. Makes it easier to, to keep that culture. Yeah, it, I mean, but we
0: started in a house. People would just spend yeah. the night at the house and we would all be at the house and, you know, 20 of us in a house. You that was like, probably you know, a unique culture every, for sure. Everybody knows everything going on. Everybody yeah. feels part of it. Everybody's trying to like be a mission and grow it. And, um, you know, I think once you start to evolve and you go to 150 people and you don't know everybody's name anymore, how do you make sure they still feel as connected to the whole entire piece of everything you're building and to the mission? And how do you keep that transparency there where they really feel part of everything going on? Um, and then again, when you're three hundred people, four hundred people. yeah, yeah, again, with all those
1: offices around the country, yeah. that that I again, I, I understand that I spend a lot of time thinking about that and then ultimately spend a lot of time executing on what I believe will increase the probabilities of having consistent culture around the com- around the country.
0: It's a full- on effort for us as well. And we've dedicated some resources to it, culture committees, um, teams around it. And I think we've done a pretty good job, but we can always be better.
1: All right, I got a question for you. When you started CREXI, did you have any, I know we've talked about this offline, Mm -hmm. so I think the audience will be able to pick up on the conversations we've had, just, you know, just kind of shooting the breezes. Did you have any idea at the time that it would become as much of a commitment and and ultimately sacrifice uh, that it it has?
0: Yeah. You know, I think uh, I put that level of commitment and sacrifice into the start of my career um and basically dedicated my life to it and when you go out and you get friends to come join you in this kind of bigger mission and you get people to invest in that bigger mission um you know i think of course you have you you know you have to return something significant to them for for taking bets on you and i've taken it with that approach every day every morning i wake up and every night i go to bed and everything in between um, weekends holidays etc so i had no doubt what it was going to be um did the journey look a little different in the end than I thought it would look throughout? Uh, yeah. or you know, my, my far from the end, I guess, in the middle. Um, but yes, it's looked significantly different and felt different at times. But um, I, you know, it was an all-in effort from day one. It was not it was we weren't gonna leave any stone uncovered and and we were gonna give it everything we had.
1: And and I'm we will cover the the founding of Crexie and what that part of the story looks like. But what what how did the initial the initial launch go in terms of like initial fundraising like what were some of the challenges when you you kickstarted the company
0: well we started getting introduced to VCs who did not understand commercial real estate at all and i was trying to explain what i wanted crexy to look like over the next you know 10 20 years and when you start telling them about it and you're like look it's going to be this marketplace you're going to have properties for sale properties for lease you're going to have all these brokers using it you're going to eventually get all this data you're going to be able to package that data and sell that data You're going to be able to offer loans on it one day. You're going to be able to offer property management to like owners one day who need help managing their properties or to property management companies. They were like looking at you like, how are you going to do all this? Were you pitching
1: it like a commercial real estate Zillow type of deal? A little bit. What
0: what was the comp you were trying to use? So it was too complex is what I realized pretty quickly. It was like the VC community wasn't resonating with it a ton. And so- we were just, we tried to simplify it. We're like, look, we're going to build a site that's going to help transactions be more simple. And as soon as you really instilled it it down to that, and then you could explain what could happen later if you did it well. Um, But we were like, look, we're going to try to get every broker to just start using this thing because we're going to make it simpler for them to transact. Um, And so I think just simplifying the story was kind of where I had to change what I was saying to VCs early. And then that started to resonate really well. And thankfully, I had some people who wanted to be angel investors who were well respected in the industry and who believed in me. And that gave a lot of credibility to the VC community which helped us raise money and, and and kick it off.
1: I get asked this question a lot, so I'm I get to ask you this question. Did you did you have any idea at the time and I'm not saying an aspiration or a dream, but like real probability that it would get this big this fast.
0: I'll answer that question two ways. Yeah. Um one I think in terms of scale of revenue and ability to exit at a price, I think we are at the place where I thought for sure we could get to. Now, I always thought we could get a lot bigger than this, but there was no guarantee that we can get a lot bigger than this. That said, you know, when I get stopped at the airport because I'm wearing my Crexie hat, you know, 10 times and people like say how we make their life easier and how we've made, you know, them able to do more transactions. And we get testimonials from brokers saying, you know, you helped me start my business and, and now I'm doing X revenue per year because of you guys. That's like an impact I didn't necessarily think you could have as quickly as we have. And it's not been that quick. You know, it's eight and a half years of grinding. But. Um, I think in terms of size and scale and the ability to exit we're kind of where I hoped we'd at least get to. Um, but in terms of some of the impact that the brand has been able to create and like the, how receptive the brand has been in the industry, um, I think you can only hope for that. And, and, and I really owe it to, to our team and to the industry for helping us get here, you know, giving us a lot of feedback along the way about what we should do next and how we should think about the next phase of this. And, and we've really tried to follow the lead of what the industry has asked us to do.
1: I'm going to come back to the founding of the company and what was going through your head at the time and then maybe even get a little more granular and, and what, what those moments look like. But I actually want to take it to the beginning. One of the purposes of the podcast and diving into mentalities and the mindsets of highly driven, high achievers, people who just like you, I've known you a long time now, and I feel like I know you pretty well. Like you go hard is, is really exploring where that came from. Has it always been there? And so I want to actually talk about your childhood. I want to talk about what Mike DiGiorgio was like as a kid. Like, you can paraphrase a little bit, but what, what was your childhood like growing up? Where did you grow up? What was family life? And then I'm going to, you know, kind of ask you questions about how you, how you were.
0: Yeah. So we moved a lot. Uh, so I was born on the East Coast, um, lived there for four years. We then moved cross country to Tacoma, Washington. Um, and then back across country to New Jersey. That's got to be tough. Um, then we moved to Ch- the area outside of Chicago called Rockford, Illinois. Then South Bend, Indiana. Uh, then Indianapolis, Indiana. Then Northfield. Illinois. What
1: was the what was the reason for the move? Was it your parents'
0: work or dad's work? Chasing career opportunities. Some wh- would work wh- out, some wouldn't. Uh, in the he worked in the automotive industry. Uh, okay. He oversaw. He was general manager. His last stop was general manager of a company called Mitchell One, which is um software diagnostics for if you take a car to get service that's going to be the system that runs it and tells you kind of what's wrong with it
1: so it was in a cliche sense climbing the corporate ladder but but it required relocations yep exactly and how many times in general or how many times in total did you move
0: it was about every three years so i think i lived in maybe like six places through 21 years old and then ultimately got out to california and have been mostly how
1: was that at the time on you
0: I mean, look, I had my brother, um, and we got thrown into some pretty interesting environments, blue collar towns that, you know, the new kid isn't come to town very often. They don't yeah. have very many new kids in those towns. Um, but, uh, you know, you ended up meeting a lot of good friends and meeting, learning a lot about culture and about the different kind of people that exist across the country and all different backgrounds. And I've been able to maintain relationships with people from each stop. Um, actually I saw two good buddies from middle school, from one of the stops here that live in Nashville, um, while I've been here visiting you. Um, so I think, uh, Look, you, you never, I never got to make an excuse and I got thrown in and it was, you gotta go figure this out. You know, there wasn't any coddling at our house. It was very much, you expected to go meet friends and play sports and, and fit right in. And I think that really helps you in business because you're getting thrown in a lot of to situations. I was, gonna, situations ask, I was yeah. gonna
1: ask, looking back, do you believe that that helped you?
0: Definitely. Um, if for as angry as I was when I heard we were moving again, um, and it's for as miserable as those first few months are when you're the new kid, um, it, in the end, it, I couldn't have asked for anything different. It was it really made me who I am today in a lot of ways. And uh, one thing that was great is I had my brother. We were always in it together, so it was always kind of two of us going through it.
1: How? What's the age difference, or who's the older?
0: I'm older by two years. But so, it was, but it was pretty close. Yeah, you guys are pretty close. Still very close to this day. Yeah. You
1: guys yeah. are ba- battle as kids though.
0: Uh, every every everything and yeah. everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I can I can understand what it's like to move. I moved over thirty times uh, back and forth, and and new schools probably six or seven times, and. Uh, at the time, I also, you know, there were a couple of tough months and there certainly was some frustration when I say, hey, we're going to go to a new school, right? And uh, you're not going to know anyone. But looking back, it is my opinion, it sounds like we share that, that it was one of, if not the best things for my own personal development and ultimately developing uh, what I hope to have is emotional intelligence, you know, the ability to, to understand people and, and connect with them and empathize with them because you have to to fit in 100%. you know and, and again we didn't grow up <clears throat> i'll speak for myself like had a very nice childhood but like again this is the mid-90s like there was still bullying they're still getting oh, yeah. there, you oh, yeah. still you know i don't think kids get bullied anymore i don't i definitely don't think they get their ass kicked like i get my ass kicked if i don't fit in yeah, quickly that's, uh, so, that's how it worked, that's how it worked. So i understand that and um it helps uh in my opinion um so we were very s- similar in that sense. Um, so you, you more or less settled in Rockford. Is that where you went to high school?
0: Uh, I went to high school for a semester there, and then I moved to South Bend, Indiana, finished high school in Indiana, and then moved uh, back to the Chicago suburbs.
1: So you finished high school in South Bend?
0: In South Bend, yep. Are you a Notre Dame guy? Eh, I like Notre Dame, but I'm not like a oh. hardcore Notre Dame guy.
1: Okay. No. Acceptable answer. Yeah. No. No. You know, I'm an SE guy. It's like, yeah, you yeah. Know, Notre Dame's okay. Um, so... Talk to me about what was high school like for you. Were you one of those extremely driven, laser focused? I'm going to go be a founder, or is that something that kind of turned on later on in life?
0: I was. Uh, my mentality was yes, but I was not one that took school seriously. I mean, oh. I moved halfway through freshman year. I was worried about making the football team, the baseball team. You know, having fun, meeting friends. Um, it was almost like a, a middle finger to the world kind of moment for me, where it was like, let's go enjoy this you know you're, you got to go meet people and you only have three years of high school left um and so but for some reason I had a an ego and an attitude that told me like I was still going to figure out a way to to go start something massive in my life and do something very big um it drove my mom crazy but uh in the end it's worked out okay
1: yeah I would say so you know it's uh I feel like there's this uh stereotype of we were, we were talking we were joking earlier tech bro right of the tech bro in high school is actually you know I don't want to say the nerd it's it's they're computer focused they're coding they're, no. de- they're not playing football yeah. they're not necessarily the most social in the class um but for a modern for a current tech bro that that wasn't you in high school you were the linebacker on the football team Man. again you're not going out partying every night but you you had a social life oh yeah is that safe to say
0: that's very safe to say and I probably was going out partying most nights um but yeah, look, I, I'm not a tech, guy. I've never written a line of code in my life. But I think the moving and getting thrown into different environments and understanding like, what people think and how people think allowed me to when I got into the commercial real estate industry, think about what don't people like about what exists in the industry right now? Where are there gaps? Where is there an opportunity to build something that can have a lasting impact and, and create generational wealth, obviously, if you do it really well, uh, for you and for a lot of other people, which I think was always something that I aspired to be able to achieve. Um, and I think really taking that kind of EQ, as you said it, when you kind of have to learn about people in different environments and understanding what's what gaps are. Right, when you move to a new town, you're the new kid in school. You have to like fill a hole. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can't just go in and be the same as everybody else. You got to kind of go and you're like fill a hole in a group of yeah, friends. That's a good way to put Established, and I think that's something that I learned how to kind of do over my life. And you got to offer
1: like, something to the group. You
0: got to offer something to the group. You know, and I think yeah. this, And and when you start in your career, you're going into a team of 100 plus people or a couple hundred people and you got to learn how to fit in quickly and add value to a team and and i think both sports taught me that and the moving taught me that
1: and did you go straight from high school to northern illinois no no i uh,
0: uh there was a couple stops between um and and then it really took until i was about 20 years old to kind of uh have an epiphany in my life where it was look i do believe i can be very successful one day but to do it i probably should go get a degree first um and i kind of had a light bulb moment where i um really just kind of had to come to Jesus where it's like, if I'm gonna do anything in my life, I need to go to school and Northern Illinois was close. I was gonna have to pay for it. That's the first thing my dad told me when I said, I wanted to go back to college, go to college um, and, and try to go get a degree. He said, you're paying for it. Uh, so it was affordable. I wasn't gonna get in too much debt to do it. Um, and it was close and it was easy to get in and out of and had a pretty good business school. Fortunately, I really did learn a lot there.
1: Yeah, I was talking with someone the other day, we were talking about um, the president's uh, student loan forgiveness plan and trying to forgive all the college debt. I said. You know, I know there's people with debt now that would probably be all for it, but you would piss off a <laughs> lot of people who have paid off their student loan debts like, you know, the hard way is yeah. like the interest and the principal. And uh,
0: does it does it sound too fake to say I'd still feel good that I paid off my debt that I took out? No, no, no,
1: no. Money. I did that without a doubt, paying money back you owe, there's a satisfaction fulfillment yeah. in that, a hundred percent. But um, but that's a different conversation, right? What uh so so You woke up one day, it was like a switch went off, yeah?
0: Yeah, switch went off. It was a a night of partying, and I went home, and it was like a Wednesday, and I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, it was kind of one of those moments where I needed to kind of reflect and wake up and grow up. And and it really was one of those kind of defining, changing moments in my life I can look back on where um, from that point forward, it was like a different kind of focus in terms of just you need to go make something happen now.
1: But you, so you go to college, but again, you're not not necessarily uh and I know I'm generalizing here but a tech focus what, no. what
0: was your major marketing and sales There was a professional okay. sales program marketing program I just I wanted to get a business degree it was a pretty good business school um where you got to learn a little bit about finance and operations and it was a good kind of overview of business and uh, and
1: marketing and sales and that is in some ways what you went into but yeah. so
0: talk to us about
1: about that that career opportunity that first job that that break you got yep. um
0: yeah, so at yep. 23, finished school, um, and I was fortunately able to get – my uncle called me one 23
1: day. years old. Yeah. Yeah, Not he didn't just graduate this year, guys. No,
0: at 23 years old, yeah. At, I graduated at 23, barely. <laughs> uh, but I did graduate. My uncle said he called me one day. He's like, Mike, you're getting your life together. I'm proud of you. Thank Good job. Um, he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I, I was like, I just want to find a place where I can grow and go outwork everybody and go, like, you know, make the most of my opportunity. And he said – and I was going to go become a, a lender. I was going to go into mortgage brokerage. Um, i passed my mls you would have done really well i would have been a mortgage broker yeah i probably would have made a lot of money quickly um but my uncle said you know you don't want to do that he's like i know this guy is trying to change the way real estate's bought and sold and like auctions Uh, he's a really interesting guy you should you should go meet him um so i called him and i introduced myself left a voicemail thing of the past i don't know if people leave voicemails anymore um but i left a voicemail he called me back like 10 minutes later and he said i'd love to meet you I came in there in a double-breasted suit that was about four sizes too big for me. It was my uncle's old suit. I was gonna
1: say, yeah, dude, you got that from yeah. your uncle. And, or your dad. Uh,
0: I came in there and double-breasted.
1: You know that's yeah. back now. It is back. So you're fashion-forward. I was. All right. I was. I was
0: about ten years ahead of my. Enough. Twenty years ahead. Of Entrepreneur,
1: my time, tech bro. Yeah. Fashion model. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Put that in the bio next that's, time. That's all right? right. That's right. All right. So you go in for this so interview. I go in
0: and uh, and he goes, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "I'm gonna. I want to be the best decision you ever made. I'm gonna." Do whatever you need me to do. I'll clean the bathrooms. I was like, I'll, uh, I was like, anything really. And and he like, he like looks at me and he's like, This is gonna be good. This is gonna be good. is kind of like how he could only say it. And uh, he's like, You start Monday in a junior operations role. Um, you know, I think with the time, forty five. That sounds days. like you
1: might have been cleaning the bathroom then.
0: I was pretty much cleaning the bathroom. Okay. Yeah, I got put into this warehouse. There was five people in there, and they were all trying to get people to sell real estate and online auctions, and nobody would do it at no, first. No, that was. And, and what year was this? This was uh, twenty ten. Yeah, that was... 2010, going into 2011.
1: And when we say new, it wasn't like, oh, new, or it was
0: like, no, brand new. Oh, no, one. I mean, there wasn't even, yeah, yeah, there was no... There was no industry. There was no industry for this. But I thought myself, commercial real estate meets tech, if I can go out work everybody and prove that I can be worth a ton of money to this team here and to the guy who I was just, you know, just was able, was willing to give me a job, fortunately, I was like, I can make something huge of this. And so I was, I left that day, and my dad calls, and he... He goes, all right, man, so now what are you going to do? You're starting on Monday. And I was like, I'm going to be the best decision that guy ever made.
1: And uh, where were you working out of? What? Irvine. So Irvine. you had to move to California.
0: That's what brought me to California, yep. Got it. Yeah. Brought, brought, brought you west. How was that move? It was great. It was great. My parents had moved already. They were already in San Diego. Oh, okay. Uh, that's, so that was yeah, part, that's of, really part nice. of the draw for me coming yeah. out here or out there. Uh, or in Nashville. I remember where I am right now. I got gotcha. you. Um, and, uh, you know, I get there and I. I found a place on Craigslist and there was two people living with me. They needed a third roommate. And it was like this really old house in Newport Beach um, on the water. There was a boat docked in our backyard. And I was like, this is, par- I was like, this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, it was a new environment for me. You know, I've never been in a place.
1: Winters in Newport, Newport Beach. Are, are slightly different than South Bend,
0: L- is my understanding. Well, yeah, they're a little bit different. Yeah, they're a little bit different.
1: We played a game in uh, South Bend in college uh, at Notre Dame and it was like October 14th and it, it snowed.
0: And yeah. i was just like oh hell no i believe i might have been there yeah i might have been there
1: i think we smashed you guys but go ahead probably probably uh, uh
0: yeah so so boat in the backyard and i'm like i'm ready to take on the world and it was a great great transition I, my, well, all my friends from chicago said when i told them i was moving to california i was like i'll be back in like two years and they all looked at me and they're like you're not coming back and six months yeah. after i was there i was like i'm never leaving this i might caught con- now there's reasons to maybe consider Well, you Florida, know, look, yeah, builders. things There's have cha- things There's have good changed. Good things there, have but, changed.
1: Uh, yeah. Everything everything in life is cyclical. Um, things have changed, but it California was was an amazing place to be at that time. Yeah, it was. And so you moved to Newport and what does is, what is your day-to-day look like at auction.com? Like what what is trying to convince people to sell real estate online. What what does that mean?
0: So we got some people to add properties to auction.com. They were non-performing notes. So it wasn't the actual property we were selling when I first got there. It was a bunch of the CMBS um distressed stuff. And
1: was that part of the plan? Was that like, yeah, let's do it? Or was it a pivot like we're like, they, look, they don't want to sell properties, they want to sell notes, but should we should we say yeah, yes? I mean,
0: they were trying to figure out a way just to get the the CRA, okay. just industry moving again because you had just got out of the GFC and uh and they wanted to figure out a way to, like, start getting the property selling again and resetting pricing. And so the, the servicers were wanting to sell notes. And we did a deal with uh, one of the big servicers, and that was our first chance to sell properties. And what I did was, you know, I was sitting there, like, putting data tapes together, and I was inputting them in so that the properties would show up online that and the auction cool. dates. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was doing, putting data tapes together. And then, um, you know, nothing was selling. And I was like, why isn't this stuff selling? And so I just, like, started picking up the phone, and I'd call everybody that would look at the deal. And I'd explain to them what the auction was all about. And they were telling me, like, what they were looking for, why they were thinking about investing in it. And suddenly I was getting a bunch of these people to start, like, participating in these auctions and I started getting the deals to sell. Um, and so they started building a team around me to do that. It was just like, hey, we need to have a whole team that helps do that and works with the brokers. And, and that was kind of the start of, like, what really led to my success, my first what,
1: what was your What was your life like at the time uh, In in a very practical sense where you were how many days a week were you or where were they at? What was that? What were the hours? What were the lifestyles? Like, Cause there's been this common thread on this podcast, especially early in, in all of our guest career. Like there was no work life balance.
0: No, it was 24 seven. I mean, yeah. I, I can tell you stories of making phone calls to the guys who at the three in the morning, two days before the auction, I saw someone looking at a deal and I was like, Hey, this person's looking. So they're up and they're interested. They're checking out due diligence right now. This is my chance to call them and try to get this deal done. It was everything I could possibly do to get as many deals done as I could. Um, working with everybody I could, establishing relationships. It was 6 in the morning till 9 at night in the office. And it was also, you know, I don't want to hate on my friends from California, but, you know, the, the work the work ethic maybe isn't quite as uh, aggressive and as it might be in the East Coast yeah. or Midwest. There's, di- some there's, of the, there's yeah.
1: different subcultures within this country, the, uh, certainly. So,
0: so, you know, when you show up at 6 and not everybody's there till 9 and you leave at 9 and everybody leaves at 5, You can start. So, I treated my, the start of my career, and this is what I tell people in in entrepreneurship classes I teach or when someone asks advice is like, when you start your career, treat it like it is your own business. Even if it's just a random job at a random company, treat that job as like you were running your own business. And, you know, one easy thing about being worth more to the company you start at is how many hours are you open? (laughs) You know, if you're open eight hours a day or 16 hours a day, there's a chance you're going to make more money if you're open 16 hours a day. So, yeah, that's a
1: great way to put it. Yeah, because even if you are starting, at a uh, at a job at a big
0: company, you are a business. Yeah, exactly. That's what I tell everybody. You should treat yourself that way. Yeah, I've
1: never thought about that. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, and the hours thing is like wait.
0: that's the obvious one. It's right? like, hey, right. you know, know, if you're I la- can make my business worth if your labor
1: costs it. are fixed because yeah. like, a lot of times a restaurant will close early or late because they're like, look, we've done the math and not enough customers totally. come in to. Fix. But when it comes to you, your labor costs are fixed, and right. frankly, if you're hourly, you're probably making more. Yep and then it's like but if you're open more if you're if yeah. your business how is you being make,
0: productive yeah. more the business will be more how successful how do you make yourself more valuable as a business you can learn stuff you can you know learn from the people around you you can help others around you you yeah. can put in more hours you can be open for more hours and oh, you, that's
1: that's you good know. and that that is a very it's a simple concept that i think everybody listening and i'm going to I'll go share this at some point with the with the guys out there is that uh, they can get it yeah uh, yeah, because that, that's, that's hard to argue. It's that, that logic is very difficult to argue with. Yeah,
0: I mean, if that's what your goal is, is to make your business as valuable as you can, which to which me- Which most people, that is I the looked case. I look at it as, and I think you're hopefully, and I know your team does look at it this way, but it's like, I, the, if I can be worth a million dollars a year to the founder of the company that hired me, then I'm going to make more than the 50K a year I'm making right now. If I can be worth 2 million a year to him, 4 million a year yeah. to him, 5 million a year to him- um, you know, and, and if you always take that approach,
1: it's not a straight line, but there is correlation, course, certainly. Yeah. You know, so you, well, talk, not, yeah, yeah, you talked gonna. about like the culture of workers and all that. Is there's a lot? There are people, and I see, I've seen it here. Like we, you know, we have seven, eight hundred people, and where you're, you're sitting in this warehouse or office, and you're working six in the morning to nine at night, and perhaps your teammates are working nine in the morning to six at night, and there, there are there are people who will look at that and say, well then I should do that, too. Like, why am I working so hard? Um, they'll, they'll be influenced uh, by the culture, by, by their environment, by their teammates to say, oh, like, I don't need to go this hard like no one else is. They're all, they're all going out, you know, to watch the th- Thursday night football game and they're, they're doing some, the Sunday fun days, and um, I should go do that, too. How come you didn't do that? I, I, well,
0: I had a lot of fun when I was a kid so oh, I got, you got, I got a out lot of out of my system. system yeah fair play um and then you know I think I looked at it as even if I did that I'm still checked into work you know if I had, if I'm up in a Sunday fun day because I want a little fun with my friends on a Sunday and we're taking my boat out I'm taking a call if I take a call I'm answering an email I have to answer an email so I think uh like I guess what I'm saying if
1: you, if you had 10 people in that room and nine are, are approaching their careers in a very traditional sense yeah. why were you the outlier that you were just a total savage. And I, you were... I mean,
0: one is I think I've, I'm a insanely competitive person. Um, two is, are you a sore loser? I was. <laughs> you know, tennis. I was the kid smashing somebody, the racket. Somebody asked me, "How do you, the,
1: how do you uh, find like?" Good candidates, I said. There's yeah. no, we, we haven't figured it out. But I said the only common thread amongst the best producers are all really
0: sore losers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything. Yeah. yeah, tennis. If I if it didn't go, I mean, I was break a the, racket. Yeah, break a racket. Video games. You throw clubs, the controller. Smash the golf club. I've gotten a lot better at all this stuff over the years. Of I've course, learned to yeah. suppress it and to grow yeah. up, obviously, but I, I, it actually hit me when I was a kid when I realized. You're the only one that cares this much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I and yeah. at first I thought everybody felt the same way. Like everybody, like it was just an insane drive to win. I think I've always been that way a little bit. And then, um, you know, being in Newport Beach and seeing what's possible in life. The yes. When you're looking at some of the yachts on the water and, and the, you're looking and the at the houses and you're yeah. like, and you want to learn about how do you guys do this? How is everybody making this money? And and
1: again, I'm not saying you had you had great upbringing, but that you never had access to that.
0: I'd never even seen it. Yeah. South Bend, Indiana doesn't have anything close to no. that. Rockville, Illinois doesn't have anything close to that. Tacoma, Washington, Middletown, New Jersey. The towns I lived in were blue-collar towns. And my dad had good jobs, you know. We were never in yeah, need that's of what anything. I, yeah. you know, sure. We had a, I had a great childhood. I had two parents that loved me more than anything and taught me uh, to never make any excuses and that life isn't fair. And they taught me all the stuff you're supposed to get taught as a kid, I think, to make sure that uh, you grow up with the right mindset mm-hmm. and, and you understand what, what it's all about to still enjoy Things, But I never had seen anything like Newport Beach. Um, it, it is very aspirational. You or see even that. when you go to L.A. and you go to Bel Air, Beverly Hills, or even when I was 18, we moved um, out of Indiana. We moved to the north suburb of Chicago. And that was the first time I was exposed like, to a little was bit Was it Evanston like or? Lake Forest yeah, uh, area, yeah. which was the first time I was exposed to just different. And when I saw that, I was like, I just wanted it. I, was I like, got
1: it. So very competitive. You're you're working like an animal um, part of that, it sounds like your nature is you were always very driven, very competitive even as a kid. And, and part of that is perhaps seeing some of these, um, opportunities that exist in life and say, man, I'd love to, to have that or have access to that. What, uh, walk me through how, how those inputs started to lead to, to success on the outputs, like maybe a, a, a major breakthrough for you. Like what was your first big sale or first big moment? Like where there's a moment, like at like auction.com when you're on the sales side hey i think i might be able
0: to do pretty well at this uh, so i went from calling all the people that were looking at these notes to trying to get people to sell on auction.com and i remember the first auction where i brought deals to to the platform um i brought seven deals and when you brought a private client deal to auction.com they didn't sell like the institutional deals the servicers they wanted those things gone they were going to sell they were going to price uh-huh. them right it was going to be easy um, but the private client group, which we were trying to start at the time, they were tough. You know, you got emotional owners who think that their deals are worth a certain amount of money and they don't they don't want to leave money on the table and sell it for 10 percent or 15 percent less than they might be able to get. And the whole trick about selling commercial real estate and auctions is you have to price a reserve where 10 people want to buy it. Yep. And you got to be OK with the fact that it might sell for that price if, if no one bids above it. But like you have to set a price where you can go get a market created and get like actual competition. It's, it's a bidding. major leap of faith. It's a major leap of faith. And. And the first day, you know, they were selling one out of twenty. You know, like the PCG team, and and they finally let me, like the kid, like take some deals to the auction. I take these seven deals that I found, um, with a few different sellers, and, and I sold seven for seven, and they were priced right. That's
1: good and, managing of expectations. They all
0: had ten bidders. Yeah. And they, they all sold over 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 the reserve price. they all looked like the institutional deals look, which no one was doing. And I remember getting done with that, and I called my dad, and I was like, He's like, they they sell? I was like, All seven of them. He's like, Get out of here. I was like, yeah, they all, all set up. So that them, was man. the moment, and that was like it. Then it was like, how's he doing this? And you were, dra- you were like, driving yeah.
1: home that day, top down, yeah. Newport Boulevard. Yeah, listened yeah. to Ice Cube. Today was uh, a good day. Yeah. And
0: my old sob, and I immediately go out, <laughs> bought a five series BMW. I don't know what I was thinking. You're a fool, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. But, well, uh,
1: like that's it's just that's that's part of the uh, the growing process, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So so things are rolling. You're you're experiencing success. Uh, again, these are my words, but hey, I might be pretty good at this thing. So how did crexie come about where, where did that come
0: from so uh so the vision that i was sold on when we started the company was you know we're going to change the way people buy and sell real estate and i realized after a couple of years there i was like this is going to be a good way to sell some real estate and we have an auction platform at Crexy. it does great it is a great way to sell real estate when the situation calls for it or when the owner wants to sell quickly and sell in a competitive way and sell mostly all cash um or brokers or advisor clients that way but there was a much bigger prize here. And there was all these data companies out there that were making all kinds of subscription revenue. And there was one listing product out there. You mentioned their name earlier. I'll, I'll avoid saying their name in this. And then I was like, how is there not something better out there? Like in everything else in my life, there's yep. really good tech. There's and, and there were things I was doing on a Friday where I was putting these reports together with a broker about like who we've marketed to, who we've spoken to, what we said with them, what their feedback's been, if they're going to submit an offer or not. And I was like, why isn't like half this stuff automated? automated like, you should yeah. be able to click a bunch of buttons and all this stuff happens for you. And there was no great place to go list properties. And if you wanted to list a property, you had to pay to list it. And I was like, why did that doesn't make any sense? What I have to pay if we, if we want, we had a deal at auction.com. If we wanted to market it and list it somewhere, that one place you had to list it, you had to go pay them to list it there. Mm-hmm. And there was just a bunch of things that didn't, didn't make any sense about how the data was aggregated at some of the data companies. And there was just this bigger prize sitting there. And I, I had a vision of how to put it together and, and I was hesitant to do it because I was flying around on private jets and selling a bunch of real estate and overseeing teams of friends. And we were getting, a little, and the company was growing. We were having fun. So it was kind of one of those things where it was just like eating at me, but I wasn't ready to make that jump quite yet.
1: So when did the jump happen or how did
0: it happen? So the long version is uh, I was trying to sell a deal in auction in January of 2014. Um, the seller is a well-known who real a, sales is a guru. Who uh, is seller? His name is Grant Cardone. <laughs> I know um, it, so yeah. people probably see some i think some you told garden. me this we, story I this so story, I, yeah. I, fi- I figured this and is I was, the one i was working on it with a broker at the Who time who's the Who broker a, a broker at matthews that's right and, uh, yeah my friend matt lapiccolo good buddy of mine and, he, and speaking and, of savages he's a savage yeah and so grant wanted
1: uh i was i was we were in mexico for a sales trip um in the spring and and uh we were at, after this big dinner, you know, a bunch of guys had some drinks, and, and you hear this noise coming from this bar on the second story. We were at the Four Seasons in Punta Mita. And I go up, and there's, like, you know, 50 of our agents, and they're crowding around, and they're going crazy. And I'm like, what's happening? I look in the circle, and La Piccolo, who's a big dude, but yeah. is squatting another one of our guys, <laughs> Charles Wright, who probably weighed at the time, like, 270. Yeah. I've just messaged Charles you weren't that heavy you're definitely no more than 265 <laughs> uh but he was squatting him on his back yeah. like trying to do 20 squats and that's when I was like mm, La Piccolo is a crazy person but yeah. so so La Piccolo is running point on this deal so, yeah and,
0: and so but Grant really with Grant with Grant yeah it's a, it's oh, a the geez, trio Grant yeah. Matt and I uh and uh and Grant like kind of likes me a lot and, and the deal he wants he's a tough seller he wants like 22 or 23 million for this like Northgate, which is a Mexican grocer, mm-hmm. uh, Anchor Shopping Center. Which down. nowadays would fly off the charts. Oh, i like sure
1: I had uh, Arturo Snyder on, who's a Sierra Prime store. We were talking about Hispanic grocers, and now because they just crush on a sales per square foot. But in yeah. 2014, right, it, it, it still wasn't – it wasn't as desirable of a product it no, wasn't it, it just the market wasn't familiar with it and, and
0: if i remember the situation right there was a north gate down the street and so it was like are they going to uh, renew yeah. it was like a lease yeah. expiring there was like a funky little uh, parcel in the middle of the parking lot that needed to get like knocked down to mm. open the parking lot up this is off memory so yeah no i got gotcha. you so anyway see wants 22 million for it, we take it to auction the all, everybody thinks it's worth like 17 or 18 and grant's not budging and so it doesn't sell in auction obviously um, but Matt's like you got to keep working Grant with me. So every every week we'd have these calls with Grant after this auction in January, February, March, April, May. We're through the summer. We're every month. We're like every week. We're talking to Grant. We're like, look, man, we're we're trying to work on some buyers here, but they're all like 17 or 18 million. If you can do 17 or 18 million, we think we can put something together. And we finally get them I, I get them on a really aggressive day where I'm just like on one, and I'm like, Grant, like your deal is just not gonna sell for 22. I know you want to sell this thing 18 million. Matt put like a great buyer, like a whole structured deal together. And, and Grant finally says yes. And so we're all excited, Grant, you know, Le Piccolo and I are like, finally, man, that was a grind of, you know, we started marketing the deal in November of 13, took it to auction in January of 14. Now we're in the summer of 2014 and he finally budges and we get this whole deal together, we think. And then the buyer flakes. And so, mm-hmm. but now we know we have Grant at a reasonable price. So the first thing I did after the buyer flaked was I called a mentor of mine out of Dallas who I had a lot of respect for um, on like a six o'clock at night on like a Wednesday. And I tell him the whole story. I'm like, look, you were kind of interested in this deal back in January. The price is way more in line with where it should be. One of your competitors is getting flaky on it. Come visit the property with me. And I knew the guy who oversaw Northgate, um, i sold some deals for Northgate, but they didn't own this building. They were just the tenant. And so I was like, come meet us at the property on Monday. So Matt, me, um, the Northgate, the guy who mm-hmm. ran real estate from Northgate and my mentor. So he flies
1: uh, out to San Diego at San the property. flies to San Diego
0: We me at the property. We walk it, and at the on our way out, I'm getting back in my car. He's like, hey, Mike, what are you doing later? I'll be up in Newport. Um, this was down in San Diego, and I was like, nothing. Let's get a drink. So we went and got a drink that night. Um, and I had just found out. I, like, I had a lot of things like kind of mm-hmm. coming together in my life. I feel like whenever I kind of hit these rock bottom moments, um, it's like when I get to be my best. Um, I don't know if you feel the same or if you've heard that with other people on your podcast, but – my found out, i just found out my mom had like six months to live hmm. i just broken up with my girlfriend said, uh, cancer cancer oh, yeah. okay. so i had just broken up with my girlfriend at the time um and my house was empty because she had all the couches and beds and everything so i'm sitting in this empty house and i get back there and i'm like man you know i need to change like i'm, I'm just something I'm, i feel stuck almost and so we go out for drinks that night and randomly fernando throws a question at me he's like the giorgio he goes i make money taking bets on guys like you he goes what would you do if i gave you a bunch of money tomorrow and I said, I'd go start a Siri tech company. I was like, look, I think, I, I don't, won't name any of the names, but I think the 10 out there are missing the mark. No mm-hmm. one's really approaching it the right way. I think there's a new business model you can bring to this. I think there's a new approach you can bring to it and really bring a tech forward kind of mindset to it, solve for a lot of the workflow, automate some stuff. And I think you can go build something really big. And I think a lot of these companies you can compete with are multi-billion dollar businesses. And with the, you know with a lot of money, I think I'd go take them on. And he loved it. He's like, if you're serious about that, meet me in Dallas. And, and in the next, within the next seven days, give me a seven-day countdown. Uh, and this was on scotch two at one in the morning um and he's like meet me in the next seven days in dallas and, and i i might be your first investor in that so i walked home was walking distance from a house in newport and called one of my best friends up and i was like we're starting a company and uh you know
1: who's no. your best friend
0: uh his, his name's eric benz he ended up being employee one co-founder yeah, of Crexy. yeah um and i remember fernando you know take this forward like seven months after we're starting crexy but he kind of he tells me this story one day. He's like, You know, Mike, starting businesses. He's like, it's like you're in a corner and like a pack of wolves are surrounded you and you gotta like co- constantly just fight. You gotta fight right out of the corner. And he's like, Who do you want fighting out of the corner with you? And Eric Benz is six three. He's put on some weight, but you know, at the time he was yeah. he was two forty shredded yeah. D-, D end all American you know young football players said this is the guy and i was like that's and he was already out there working with me at auction.com and he had Got started it. a company a football company out of college and so he kind of knew how to start companies and get some of the early stuff in place and and we both flew to dallas five days later um and uh we whiteboarded on like what we would do if we went to do this and it took like a couple months of soul searching like am i really going to do this walk away from everything and go make this jump and go try to take this on and i remember my dad telling me if you don't do it, you'll regret it forever. And then he said something to me, which kind of like I'll never forget because I didn't see myself this way, and I still don't. But he goes, you know, Mike, you're a natural leader. And he goes, you can pull this off. He's like, go do it. And he's like, and if it doesn't work, you'll learn more in the next year of trying to do this than you'll learn in the next five years doing what you're doing because you've learned so, so much. So he was where a where big supporter. Big supporter.
1: It's cool. Yeah. I'm, I bet he's pretty proud of how far it's coming. I know you
0: still have a long way he you want to go. He is. Yeah.
1: That's cool Does he ever get Oh I guess he's in San Diego Does he ever come by the office Or anything
0: All the time He loves it He loves being part of it He just retired He's um, like the mascot He's yeah, he's just the, the That's ultimate trailer cool. And you know He didn't have a ton of money um, But he found a way To put 60k in early And hopefully I can make a nice return oh, I'm sure he'll do just fine yeah, yeah.
1: So you and Eric It takes a couple months You talk to your dad He gives you That push And you say Okay I'm going to do it What happens?
0: Yeah so uh, I spend the polly's my mom who was getting sicker Mm -hmm. by the day uh and spending a lot of time with her and i left auction i think in like november of 2014 and then january of 2015 uh right after new year's um started we like we got our first investment i was able to convince a friend of mine who was a tech guy in la to kind of help me and his buddy put in 50k so we had 250k raised this is like january 6 2015 Mm -hmm. um and Started working on a 10-page pitch deck, and it's like, we got to go talk to VCs. And the first VC we talked to really liked the idea, um, but was like a couple things. I need you to find a technical co-founder because you don't know how to write any code. (laughs) And I need to trust you guys can write some code. Um, And I need you to find another VC to do it with me. So that was what we worked on. And what was the
1: original seed round?
0: It was a million and a half dollars. It was supposed to be a million, and then one of the VCs locally who's become a good buddy of mine was like, you're going to want more money, just take more money and uh, he's a good friend and i'm i'm glad he's on on board with us yeah. but it was a pretty dilutive extra 500k we took
1: oh uh, yeah i bet you he's you know he's a sharp guy what what did you do with the money like i mean in terms of building the business what were
0: some of those first uh let's call them investments you made it was just i mean literally it was we brought on our fourth co our third yeah. co-founder uh, luke to come help uh, run product uh, who's still there today and another really close friend so we kind of had a four-person founding team and went and found our house where we were going to work out of and, and got our first, like, engine. Where was the house? It was in Venice Beach on the canal. I canals. was going to say, I guarantee uh, it's in Venice. Uh, yeah, it was this little old shack, and then it had this... Everything in court- Venice yeah. is old. Then it had this <laughs> courtyard in the middle and then another old shack behind it. And so we'd have, like, this, like, front house, back house, courtyard kind of vibe. It was really cool, cool, actually. It was, a, it was The commercial real estate, ironically, was too expensive for us, and so we found a better deal on some residential yeah, real estate. Yeah, Abbey
1: Kinney's an expensive street.
0: Yeah, so we... Uh, and then it was building the first version of it, which was basically like, all right, we got to get people to list on this thing. So how are we going to get brokers to use this? What can we build that'll help but it'll help them a little bit if we offered it for free? So, get so the first it. thing
1: was like a listing, multiple listing service is what yeah, I call it. it so was,
0: yeah. And, and yeah, so we had to prove some value to you if we were going to get you to list it. So mm-hmm. it was bringing brokers by the office. Like, what features can we build here that'll you'll say yes to build to putting your stuff on our site?
1: That's very cool. And um, so you're working out of this house. House. Um, yeah, it was a house. You, you're bringing on some developers, some software yep. developers. Okay. And uh, you're writing this code. What was, uh, you know, I asked this question about your time at auction.com, but let me ask about after founding Craxi, what was your first big win where you, again, you're driving home, you're like, holy shit, this might actually work? With Correcty?
0: Yeah. Oh, so I mean, <laughs> you know, I think you were saying something yesterday that, well, I, I don't remember the story, but I was saying a lot yesterday. Um, uh, so I remember talking to, um, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time and being like, look, this is going to be stressful. But once we raise this first million bucks, it's smooth sailing from there. Oh yeah. Just easy. <laughs> just that's like, it. So that's it. That's where it's going to get easy. That's simple. Truer words have never been spoken. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, it was, I, I was like that, but that like when we, when I remember the first time we looked at our Silicon Valley bank account, which, you know, SVB uh, yeah, rest SVB. in peace <laughs> baby it's still it's still there and humming somehow they figured that out but I remember the first time it showed a million bucks I was like all right we got a million bucks in the bank we got you, got, we, you we, went you we went got out, a year we got oh a, no you
1: weren't single I was gonna say you went to the bar like oh baby I'm a millionaire <laughs> yeah I wish uh, <laughs>
0: no 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 I but um we had that million dollars in the bank and I was like all right we have a year to figure some stuff out now like we can pay our 50k salaries we started mm-hmm. we get we started paying ourselves 50k a year um that's what everybody made that first year and the second year frankly no matter who you were, what your background was, where you went to school, what you're doing before, you made, that you made 50K. B- bougie life on oh, 50K. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and I remember just thinking, like, we have a, like, that was the first ask. Like, one of the first guys we hired was a friend of mine from college also, who uh, was working with me at auction.com also. And his only ask to me was, like, can you just guarantee me this 50K salary who for 12 that? months? Matt Kors, <laughs> who was probably sitting around that, that large uh, conference table yeah. in, in 2016 yeah. when we first met. But uh, um, he said, just guarantee me I can get this 50K salary for a year. And I was like, I think, I think we'll be able to pay your 50K salary per year, but I don't want to guarantee that. Yeah. Um, and he was like, all right, I'll do it anyway. So that was uh, that was when the first million came in. I remember launch day. We launched with four properties for sale. I was like, all right, we, we're up and running. We thought some magic was going to happen that morning. We were like, all right, you're going to launch the site, and everybody's going to flock to it. Like, they're going to know what it is. All uh, good,
1: All yeah. good salesmen and women, I'm not going to say they would misrepresent anything, okay, but let's call it maybe embellish. How bad would you guys embellish the amount of properties on the website when you're going? Hey, brokers, like we have a
0: thousand properties. You on know there. what? We actually didn't because the number was on there. The number was on there. You couldn't hide from it. The, we, yeah, we oh, nobody. We, we always did. showed the number. Oh, you did? Yeah, always. It was always front and center, right on top. It's still to this day, which the competition doesn't have. You can always see how many listings are on Craxy. But that and was. And that number tough was never. Uh... No, we went from. Lapiccolo gave us one of the first ones. Well, thanks, thanks to Matt. I'll owe him again, but. Uh, yeah, we were like, how do we get brokers to put listings on here? And mm-hmm. it was hard. We had when we had four deals on our site, it's like we were calling brokers and they were like, No. And then the milestones early were like, All right, we got our first hundred listings, first five hundred listings. I remember we'd take pictures every time we'd hit like a new listing milestone. And then it was like, All right, we have buyers looking at these deals. Matthew signed up. Yeah, that's that's when it all, that that's was when it pop, all changed. Baby. That's when that really popped. <laughs> that's what it really that, you know when you guys signed up, what we would do is we'd have deal deal building nights where we'd sit around and drink beers till like two in the morning yeah. building the deals out for the brokers that's oh, how we did it that was our second half of the day after calling the brokers was was building the deals it was uh, the deal dungeon we called it it was one of the rooms in the front house so uh,
1: well, a year or two in you had a couple hundred listings fair to say
0: after the first year we I think we got up to like 2,000 listings oh and, okay and, um, and we were starting and then it was became like how many OMs are being downloaded yeah. like are we adding any value to our brokers yeah. um, and that became like the next metric we really mm-hmm. tracked was OM downloads
1: how many listings you have today
0: uh, we have 170,000 listings for sale right now. Uh, for sale? For sale. And, and then also lease. I want to say we have something like 400,000 spaces for lease. Jeez. That's like... Uh, it's something like five hundred fifty or six hundred billion is listed for sale. And uh, have you ever quantified the
1: market? Like, okay, you say uh, we have one hundred seventy thousand for sale listings, but right now there's a million for sale listings, so we have seventy percent of the market. Like, have you ever? Do you do you, want, do you know what percentage you have
0: or not? Because this industry is still so in the fragmented. dark, it's fragmented, very fragmented. It's, really fragmented. it's really hard to ever. Total, we've had fifteen ways of guessing, um, but I don't want to even sit here and try to pretend like we know. And then you still have people that won't list properties for like they'll do. You know, you still have the. The pocket listing uh, still a thing for some reason. I know you guys are very good about exposure and yeah, that we preach maximizing um, outcomes, which I think is where the industry should. Yeah, we well we, head,
1: ge- we 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 definitely educate sellers on the downsides of off market listings. Yeah. There is some upside. It's in generally speaking, unless there's a unique circumstance, the the upside does not outweigh the downside. It's like maximum exposure. Yeah. almost always will lead to the best execution, best outcome, but... We,
0: we even have an off-market feature. I mean, what we try to do is just mimic the industry as much mm-hmm. as we could, so we were like, look, if people want to sell off-market, we've created a way that you can just, like, hide the link and use all the Crexy functionality, but um, you have to, like, send it to whoever you want to send it to only, but that's what we really try to do with Crexy is, like, think about how the industry works and try to create features and functionality that allow us to mimic the industry as well as possible so that everybody wants to use this. Us.
1: I asked earlier, what does a day in the life look like today, and I want to tie that into what we just spoke about where, you know, you're telling this story and some of the challenges early on of just like, how do we get brokers to put their product on this site? And the only way they're going to do that is if they see any value whatsoever. Okay. What are some of the challenges today where, you know, generally speaking, the industry sees value. So that's put to bed, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm still, I'm sure there's still some conversations out there where you're educating, especially some of the bigger companies, right? We're
0: still adding 4,000 new brokers a month.
1: No doubt. Um, but I would cr- push back. But I would say you're, the story you're s- selling today is much easier. Definitely. than... All right. Yeah. But so, what are some of the challenges for you today as a CEO of a much bigger uh, company? I'm sure there's some unique challenges. What What do those look like?
0: Balancing growth with running a responsible, cash flow positive company um, while maintaining our growth culture. Because, look, if we had a two billion dollars in the bank like some of the public companies we're chasing do Uh, i don't think they have quite that much but something like that yeah Um, there's endless opportunity to build new products to sell more to market more to tighten the data it
1: accelerates everything
0: it accelerates everything and i think but in
1: exchange there's a downside
0: dilution in exchange yeah and um and i think we really like our cap table we really like our size and there's so much opportunity to grow and we have to be really thoughtful about what's the next thing we're going to build where are we going to invest in growth where are we going to pull back and how are we going to think about the bigger picture capital allocation it's a lot about capital allocation um, and just really understanding and are you at
1: a point and you don't you share whatever you, you're comfortable sharing but are you at a point where you really are saying hey we want to grow and add features add a, additional layers to the company but we're going to do it with our cash flow with yeah. our cash flow we're, We're right there. So as of right now, you say, hey, we're not going to go out raising We're not in the fundraising game anymore. Got it. Um,
0: Strategically, we may down the road, but um, right now we're not in the fundraising game, which uh, it's been eight and a half years to get to this point. And we could have been in this position a while ago, but I think we really feel good about our ability to grow with our cash flow now and not being reliant on any –
1: that's great. That's great. Again, I'm not an expert on the in the tech industry in terms of on the operations side. My understanding is many, most, let's call it tech companies are not cash flow positive.
0: It's actually like it's shocking to me how many public companies that are some of the biggest market caps in the world still haven't turned a profit, yeah. and, and you don't, and maybe can't even turn a profit right now, which and I so still that, find hard to fathom. But
1: yeah, the combination of cash flow positive and recurring, predictable revenue has to make you guys very attractive.
0: It does. It does. Um, I feel pretty good about where we are, but um, you know, I say every day, and we're still an inning, maybe the bottom of the first, top of the second. So, what,
1: what, what? You know, I'm going to ask you a big question here. What, what continues to drive you to? Uh, because I, I know you, you spend time with your daughter, and and you, you know, you still, still make time for friends and all that. But like you, you work a lot, and so what? What is continuing to drive you now that? You guys are on your way. You're, you are very successful. W- why do you still go so hard?
0: We haven't won anything yet. You know, I think uh, I don't not, I was never That's one a good to, analogy. I was never want yeah. to celebrate being 3-0 and to start the season. Um, we got There's a prize at the end of the day, and, and I'll let my foot off the gas a little once that prize is.
1: Was that Kobe Bryant? I think they were up two games to nothing in a finals, I want to say maybe against the Magic, and um, he was at a press conference after the game. Yeah. they just won they went up to nothing and it, i think it was clear the lakers were better and they, the reporters like you know they're asking him questions He's giving very serious terse short answers And like kobe you seem you don't seem happy and He goes, why would i be happy he's like job's not finished we haven't won anything yeah
0: i mean i feel like we're not even close yet you know and, I, and it's my responsibility to land this plane safely and uh the planes in flight and we're doing a good job so far and I, i've feel really good about a lot of things we've done. I, it's, it's been one thing I've actually probably had to work on a little bit from and coaches have told me this and, mm-hmm. and my co-founders and, and good friends have told me this, but to learn how to celebrate a little bit more along the way, because we hit one milestone and I'm just thinking about the next one and we just haven't won anything yet. I, I can't, you can't, every team that celebrates too early. I mean, I've, I've seen it in every sport I've ever played and everything I've ever done in my life. Like I, the world has a way of smacking you in the face when you celebrate well, too early.
1: I love sports analogies. I love your sports analogy. Uh, high school football after the game the first game of the year you won it did you not celebrate maybe in the locker room a little bit no oh yeah all right well no. that no. yeah that's that's uh that's hardcore i would say you could celebrate the wins you just have to you know you just have to compartmentalize that it's just a win big wins yeah. championship wins you know uh, no, no doubt. Wins, yeah not
0: any not normal wins along the way yeah well i'll get know. better. i've gotten better at it i've gotten better at it my uh nothing's nothing's over till it's over man so you can't
1: yeah. what 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 how would you define your mindset to the audience like if someone had to describe mike de giorgio or you know i guess this question i could ask you: how would you or how would you want someone to describe your mindset your mentality like how you approach your profession
0: hmm. i hate answering questions like this by myself but how would i like somebody to yeah um I care a lot. I'm passionate. I'm really competitive. I'm. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna lift our team to victory, and I'm gonna be part of a victory. And I'm gonna do everything we can to win. So you can count on me not falling short there. Um, yeah, I think uh, I have a big heart. Um, so in everything I do, I give it give it a lot of heart. I think heart matters. Um, I like to be strategic. I like. I think business and life is like a game of chess. I'm think about everything strategically. I think about the chessboard, right? And I think business and everything i approach i think of it like what are my chess pieces whether it's you know positions on a field mm-hmm. or um or 100 investors and 400 employees but um and competitors and all the aspects of a game of chess which i kind of feel business to be but when you do our podcast you can you're gonna ask
1: i'll, I'll answer yeah. no, I'll no, tell no, everybody uh, like how would you describe your mindset or your mentality approach to to what you do, and, and sometimes it's hard for people to talk about themselves, so I'll, I'll make the question easier. How would you like your teammates, whether it's your best friend, your closest coworker at Crexie, anyone who's had the opportunity to, to, to work with you at some point, how would you like them to describe Mike DiGiorgio?
0: I mean, look, I'll answer the question in a different way, right? I think, what do I want everybody that joins the Crexie ride with us to be? And yeah. I want them to be very competitive, super ambitious, Big-hearted, great teammate, caring, trying to help those around them. Likes to have fun. You know, I don't want bad attitudes. Just have a good attitude about mm-hmm. it. Just approach it with a good attitude. Um, you know, that owns that takes ownership of whatever they have in front of them. You know, I, I think uh, people like to blame others, make excuses, own everything. You know, I mean, you can always there's always something you can do to resolve to look in the mirror. People are not that people that can easily look in the mirror and say, "Here's what I could have done differently. Here's what I could do better." Um, and I want people to always view me as someone that's constantly doing that.
1: There's a great book, Jocko Willink, you know, that Navy yeah. SEAL, oh, yeah. uh, oh, Extreme yeah. Ownership. So uh, I agree with you 100%. And uh, I use Jocko's words, extreme ownership. And that, that may mean different things to different people. But read that book uh, for anyone listening. It it, it basically it ge- kind of gives you some guidance and coaching on how everything that happens in your life, you can reframe that, oh, this was this was in my control. You know, not that... You can't be victimized but but you're not a victim and and everything that in life that happens and you know even if it's bad is your fault not not in a in a blame way but it's like hey you can control the outcome and and it it you know i'd like to think that i much like you already had that mentality but when i read that book it really helped frame frame that. And we, we preach it at, at Matthews. It sounds like you guys do the same at Crexie. Two
0: more words I'd use. Yeah. Relentless, persistent. I think persistence is like the number one defining characteristic of successful people. You know, you, mm. can, you can be, and there's a Calvin Coolidge quote that I was sitting with one of the congressmen who I love and was an awesome person. And he's like, this Calvin Coolidge quote, um, but about persistence, it's like, there's a million educated people in the world. Um, you know, there's a million just people in the world, but the one thing that you can do to like really just make yourself stand out the most. It's just persistence. Just don't stop. Be, rel- be rel- relentless.
1: That is Something so like true. Uh, yeah, that is so true. Um, I'm, j- you know, I'm, j- I'm just gonna parrot what you said. Is uh, in, at least in the commercial real estate space, which has been my experience professionally, is the ones that have achieved the the highest of heights. You know, the the most successful people. They may have had other skills and attributes and talents, but they all had a relentlessness. They all had a persistence, like basically a never, never stop, never stop, never stop coming.
0: If you're relentless and you care, you have a little fun while you're doing it. Good attitude. What,
1: and this is within that men- mentality question. Like, what, what is your need? What, what is it that you need to? You know, it's, 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 it's not. You know, I always say everybody wants to be successful, but there are very few who need it, and. What would you say is why do you need to be successful
0: i mean look you live one time um and i want to leave the biggest legacy and impact on the world as i can and uh you know one way you can really create change and impact people for the better and leave a legacy is uh is by striving to do as much as you can in life and and Feel really good about when you take your last breath, what you accomplished. So just leave, it all, leave it, it all out there on the field. field. Leave it all on the field. That's been my mentality always. Yeah. I was
1: if I may, I am, and I agree with you. I, I kind of layer in that. That ultimately gets. There's also a second component to that, which is regret, which is a very bad thing to feel. It's like because if you don't leave it all out there on the field, you run the risk of regret, and regret is a very, very bad thing to carry with you. It's a very 100%. heavy weight. I um you always want to win, right? You do, I do. I'd say most people want to win. I, I don't know a lot of people. It's like, I don't really care. Like there's different l- levels of competitiveness, no doubt. But I'll just speak for myself. What I found was there would be games where you want to win and winning provides joy, but there, there would be games where you lost. But if you walk off the field, and this wasn't always the case, but if you, you know that you gave everything you had you left it all out there on the field, as they say, um, and you you did everything you could to positively impact the outcome of that game, of that competition. Even if it doesn't end up in a win, you're not happy, but there's a certain satisfaction and fulfillment in knowing you did everything you could. And conversely, there are games we won, but you're just like, man, I just for whatever reason I didn't have it today. I didn't go full speed. I hesitated. I don't know if I prepared and there, there was a little regret in that. And then when those are combined, when you didn't go full speed or you didn't prepare all the way and you lose like that, that's where regret shows up. So I feel you. Uh, And I agree is that you only live once. You might as well leave it all out there. Go full speed. You got one shot at this thing because not only does that increase the probabilities of a very positive, happy outcome for you, for you, your loved ones, your teammates, your friends, your your co-founders, whatever but it also lowers the probability of regret which is which can be tough.
0: Totally. I mean, I think uh you know, how many people can you impact in this life, you know, when when it's all said and done and and yeah, how can you make sure when you take it you know, when you're laying in your deathbed that you are not sitting there thinking I should have or could have or would have done something differently. So I'm going to ask
1: you a, t- a two-layered question like how do you define success? And then how how will you know when you've reached it? We got these hard hitting questions, that is bro. Hard hitting questions. Who was it? Was it like 60 Minutes? Who was Barbara Walters and got shit on me? All
0: right. <laughs> How do I define success? Is that who it
1: was, bro? It was a bar? Who?
0: I like that was a
1: song. I think you just quoted a song, like you just said. No, it was just so deep. It sounded like a song, yeah. Zach. No, who was like who? Who's like the heavy hitting correspondent? You know, Barbara Walters, right? 60 Minutes. I mean,
0: yeah, maybe. Barbara Walters, she's a hard hit. She, yeah, she, she was hard hitting. Yeah. Maybe Anderson Cooper, but I feel like he's kind of soft. Um, I can give an answer to that. I uh, So I'll say, I mean, look, for me right now, given where I am in my journey, right, it's at least for business-wise, I'll start separating things. But, you know, when when Crexy's story has been told and there's an exit of some sort maybe 20 years from now or an IPO or, you know, there's a lot of ways we can go, I want... As many people that help be make crexy what it is walk away from that saying that was the most rewarding experience I could have ever imagined having in my career I want everybody who was part of it to be financially um, taken care of in a way that was life-changing to them um, and, and in ways where they're forever grateful for the the opportunity to do more than they ever thought they could I want all of our investors to be able to look at me and say that was an amazing ride I couldn't have asked for more from you you know you just I want I want I want them to be able to look at me and say like that was you 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 executed in the ultimate way, um, and then I I want to be a great you know father and person to my family and friend and I want to be able to say I was there enough and and part of their lives enough always along the way, um, and then after the Crexy life I don't know what success. Well, was I was going. Hold, hold on,
1: I'm going to get that. to that. Yeah. Oh shit, I can't say it. Hold on, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, push pause. Let me bookmark that. Yeah. Um, so you know look as a founder there are a lot of people who bet on you yeah and i and here's the deal like it's not just the investors they financially bet on you certainly yeah. but i i also believe that even vcs they bet on people
0: yeah.
1: you know certainly they put money behind it but your teammates your co-founders your 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 employees right yeah. uh, eric the first guy you yeah. called yeah. like at the end of the day they bet on you yeah. And so I, I think a lot of what it sounds like is driving me is like hey I want them to be happy they did that.
0: I want them to be thrilled that they did it. Yeah. You know, I think just happy. And I'm sure some of them it's not going to be. And that'll be, be a weight
1: them. off that'll <laughs> be a weight off your shoulders. But, oh, okay. Yeah. It worked out. What um so what w- let's just play a game, right? Yeah, all right. What is life ex- after Crexie look like?
0: Ah, uh, I uh I, I like to angel invest. I've done about twelve angel investments.
1: If you have any good ones, call me. Go, I'll right?
0: I'll let you know every time. Please, I haven't done one in a while, but I I got twelve really good ones right that now. That was a nice
1: pivot. I haven't done one in a while. Yeah. Well done. Yeah.
0: I haven't done you one. You definitely
1: are have been in sales. Yeah, right.
0: Um, look, I, I love angel investing. I love helping other people start businesses. There's a ton of really talented people in Cre- within crexie who I would love to back them starting a company one day. Um, I love to golf. Uh, so admittedly I want to That's right you do enjoy a, golf. Join a couple golf clubs and, and be able to take friends. I'm, How's the handicap? I'm like a 8 index. That's pretty good. And you 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 weren't a golfer growing up. No, I started playing in my mid 20s. Um, so my under-
1: my limited understanding of golf is that that's good. It's yes. hard to get into the single digits if you didn't, you know, establish your it's never, fundamentals it's, it's, never swing,
0: yeah. it's never enough. It's never enough. Yeah, then, especially you know, for a guy like you. you and if you're playing make... good clubs, everybody's still so good at golf around you, and you're like, yeah. all right, I'm not very average. And the thing
1: index. with golf is, at the end of the day, the greatest competition is the competition within yourself. Yeah. And so golf, you're always competing
0: against totally. yourself, That's in theory. Which is why, the you know, my obsessive compulsive way of yeah. competing no, it's with good. myself and getting better and persisting yeah i always say what like it, you
1: know, whatever's wrong with you lean into it yeah. obsessive compulsive yeah. is not yeah it's just your manic personality yeah, it's like it whatever i do i go full speed and yeah. you go full speed into golf
0: so i want to help a lot of other entrepreneurs start businesses i'd love to start buying a lot more commercial real estate myself um and spending a lot of time being the ultimate dad No, uh, and you know i want to spend a ton of time with my daughter if we have a couple more kids i'd love to spend t- more time with family um and i want to go spoil a bunch of my friends and family who helped me get. well
1: it. we're friends so you can spoil me yeah. that's cool yeah, we'll... um
0: what what are like,
1: let me ask some practical some practical questions in the sense of like w- we got a lot of listeners um and they do enjoy the stories and they enjoy the the um kind of high level themes but they also will email or, or what is it dm via social media <laughs> DM, DM me, uh, DM via you know Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn and um, practical. What is some advice or guidance you would provide? You know, things they can maybe implement daily or resources that that have helped you be successful over the years in your career. It could be, i have got to lead you here. It Could be books. It could be coaching uh, services. It could be certain daily practices, meditation. I'm yeah, just.
0: I'll, I mean, I'll give it, a very. One on one answer, but yeah. I think try to learn from everybody you come in contact with and you come across. You know, I think people only want to get advice from people they like super look up to, but you can get advice from the person next door and you can get advice from. Every, all, I, I, I tried to learn from everybody when I started my career, and I, I wanted to talk to as many people, get as many perspectives as I could. I didn't care what you did or what kind of background you were in. I think learning from people around you and engaging with people around you is like very underrated. Um, there's a bunch of good books, obviously. I'll, refrain from trying to go over the list of the books that i've read Uh,
1: dm mike
0: yeah you know for a book list i do get a lot of linkedin messages and i try to respond to all of them and I'll, i'll reach out to people you know i think that's one thing that people don't do enough of either like people that there's so many people that helped me get here yeah um and i'm sure you can say the same about your career that uh i'm anxious to give back to others and help in any way i can anybody else and and i we've hired 20 30 people that just like Persistently reached out to me on LinkedIn or sent me like random cold emails. They're some of our best employees um, because they have obviously that gear. You yeah, got nothing to lose. I tell people when I go speak at schools, um, you know, please reach out to me, like email me, and you'd be surprised. And no one takes me up on it. Like I really don't understand that. But go find companies where or, or people that, that inspire you, and go reach out and ask questions. Yeah, and, that's great advice. That's great advice. I think. Uh, a lot of people will be receptive to that, and, yeah, don't, I, and don't do it just once. You know, we, you, I'm sure you get flooded in your DMs. Th- so y- yeah, and you get flooded in emails. But like, you get like five emails. Like, don't 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 think just because there wasn't a response that that person's not willing to help.
1: I agree. It's not a it's not a conscious test I put them through, but as you can imagine, you 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 know, our lives are very busy, and it's not can't always get back to someone in a in a couple of days. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's a couple of months. Yeah. But we really do the best we can. But then when someone follows up. It, it, it increases the probability, and it almost makes it impossible not to respond at some point. And, and that is one, one of the many, but one of the best things of social media that young entrepreneurs, young motivated professionals, young people, um, and it doesn't even have to be a physical age, there's a correlation there, but even people who are young to their industry, maybe they made a, a, you know, a midlife career switch, they have access to highly accomplished people in their space That you and I never had, like, you know, 2005, like, you're not emailing the CEO of some highly successful high growth tech company and or expecting a callback. Like, that doesn't happen. The
0: other piece of advice I'd give, and I think think a lot of people, especially, I've seen it in some younger people, and I don't want to make this a generational thing, but um, they look at what's in it for them. Um, But I think if you look at life as opposed to being someone that's trying to take and, and get what's in it for me. If you take the approach of how do I help others around me um, be the best they can be how can I give Uh, and you have like a giving side to you and you're trying to just give give to whatever business you're going to be a part of and give to the clients you're trying you know you're not trying you're trying to sell a client on your service or your product Um, but I think the more you look at like a trying to be giving in your way of going about things and how can I help this person as opposed to just how what can I get from this person I think that pays off in spades over time
1: no doubt you know that's very well said i got a question that i i really like this question and I, I think it is valuable to everyone listening is and it, it needs a like a raw answer all right like no bullshit what are the common traits or attributes what is the commonality between the successful people that you've worked either with alongside you've either managed or you work for again what, is, what are the common traits of the highly successful people you've been around professionally? And then I'm going to ask that same question. What are the common traits of those people that haven't been successful?
0: Well, you do whatever it takes. Um, we've talked about it, and I've said it, are relentless, persistent. Um, don't try to know n- politics. You know, I think you can get only so far if you play the game of politics, but just, like, be raw. You know, I think people that are, like, real um, do really well. Like, those are the ones that do the ultimate um, Best in life. I think if you play politics and play corporate politics, you can only get so far. Um, be there to help those around you. Be a good teammate. Um, everybody that I think has done ultimately well has like really helped everybody around them do better. It's exponential that way. You can only do so much yourself, but if you can be a great teammate, great attitude, the little things, um, never made excuses. Don't expect everything to be fair. Still give it everything they have, anyways. Still be a good teammate, anyways. Still be um, willing to do whatever it takes, anyways. Even though it's not always gonna be perfect. Um, someone that can fight out of a hole. You know, I think um, life's going to punch you in the face a lot of times, and it's not going to be easy always, and you're going to have good moments and bad moments, and who bounces back from the toughest blows. I think uh, the ones that have been the most successful are the ones that do that.
1: All good. All good now. And I think I could take those answers and put them in reverse, but I am going to ask the question I'm going to ask for one. The people that you worked with over the years who didn't get the job, didn't get the promotion, got laid off uh, or even people that you've had to manage I know it's a negative thing to talk about but people that you've had to say hey like can't work here anymore or no like, I'm not you're not the person who's going to get this assignment What what is one thing one common thread that you've seen in, in the people who uh, don't get to where they want to go
0: I only get to pick one
1: only one because what what I'm looking for is I'm looking for listeners to say, okay, I'll, I'll say don't something do maybe that. A
0: little different than yeah. maybe what everybody else says, but a, a lack of self awareness. Okay, um, you know, if you're not able to look in the mirror and say, I might need to change, I might be perceived the wrong way. I'm maybe I'm doing something wrong. I can get better there. What if they don't
1: have? The, and by the way, you're right. If you're a know-it-all
0: and you have a lack of self awareness, you're you're gonna you're gonna. What if they on. don't
1: have that emotional intelligence? What practical advice would you have for someone listening that can educate them on their self awareness, like?
0: I got a piece of advice given to me once because I would get defensive as my younger self and I still sometimes probably do. but um, perception is reality. So if someone's saying it to you, you could think they're wrong and you could be doing everything you possibly think you could be doing to um, make them wrong in, in your mind. But their perception's reality. If they perceive it, even if one person perceives it, there's some reality there. So I think if you're being told something, even if you totally disagree and you think life's not fair and everybody's out to get you, perception's reality. So if, if anytime you hear something, um, there's reality to it, whether you'd like to believe it or not.
1: Yeah. There's a saying I've heard, which generally I don't agree with. It's like, I want to speak my truth. It's like, well, no, it's not your truth. There's the truth <laughs> is the truth. But this is one of those moments where yeah. this actually would apply. It's like if someone's saying, Hey, you're Mike, in your case, you're defensive. You're like, I'm not defensive. Well, by I guess, by definition, that is defensive, that is but their- I'm not defensive. But to them, that is their truth. Yeah.
0: That means and that's, that's perception is reality. Perception's reality. I and mean, so, it was the, the yeah. example I'll give, and, yeah. and I'll go back to the one coaching moment where it woke me up was like, you know, you're you're hard to talk to. You know, you you're, you're like hard to talk to sometimes. And I was like, no, I'm not. I I I'll welcome everybody to talk. This me sounds about like, this like so, sounds like something and, like college and girlfriend then, so. And then the guy stopped me, and he's a good coach, and and yeah. you know, we, we, he did a lot of good for me, especially this one defining moment. He's like, he's like, perception's reality. If that person, it was one person who thought that, mm-hmm. other people didn't. And I immediately went to that. I was like, I, five people will tell you that I'm not. But the one person thought it, and he said, look, perception reality. And I had to just really just never, never let, it'll never leave me. And I, I try to tell everybody I talk no, to. That's good that's
1: advice. Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, even though this isn't a real estate podcast, we do have a lot of real estate guests on, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm going to put you in the real estate technology side of things. Uh, what? Let me ask you some practical questions about your, your side of the business. What What are some of the emerging trends you're seeing in the real estate technology sector, as you would define it?
0: I think consolidation of data um, and transparency of data, access to data, um, especially as you know, large language modeling and different advances happen with data science and AI. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more um, transparent and easy to access data.
1: Give me an example.
0: Um, you know, I mean, like, I I believe in a world one day where, you know, every building has a place online, and you kind of know everything about that building. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody has access to it. And then some people can use that to their advantage and get be super powers in the industry. But, you know, the, in, the industry is hidden data for a long time. Um, and I, I believe the younger generation appreciates transparency um, a lot more than maybe some of the old guard in the industry. And I think you're going to see a generational shift happen with happen over the next, you will see a generational shift happen here where people that are younger that are used to quick data and everything in their face and everything transparent and fast are gonna expect that in real Mm -hmm. estate. Um, And this is a trend that's gonna happen very slowly and I don't think, you know, I think commercial real estate will always be the last to adopt fully anything. Um, But I do believe over the next 30 years, you're gonna go from a lot of data that's hidden, a lot of, um, you know, intentionally like hard to come by information. um, And I think it's gonna become a lot more, centralized and a lot more easy to access and a lot more um, yeah.
1: Do you guys track the real the commercial real estate industry in a traditional sense? Like pricing, you know, where 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 value's going, when's a good time to invest? If some of our listeners are like, hey Mike, I mean you guys have a lot of data at Crexy. Like what should I be buying? What markets? Do you guys ever look at that?
0: We're building features that allow okay. people to ask Crexy questions just like that and then get answers back based on everything we see in every OLED. Just make sure every... you put at
1: the bottom we are not Financial advisors, yes, exactly. you know, do right. not rely on this information. Uh,
0: and then we have people that are studying our data all the time. I don't want to sit here and pretend, you know, my job is to understand the traffic on Crexy and the engagement on the site and the product roadmap and our board and our investors and and um, just the the brand and how people are perceiving us. Um, so I, I, I am not near as engraved into or ingrained into the day-to-day of like what the trends are in commercial real estate or what's happening, other than having conversations with you. But... Um, which I always enjoy getting getting good tidbits from from the leaders of the industry. But um, ask us questions if you want. I mean, I, there's there's a ton of data we can pull. If the industry has questions. Um, eventually, it'll be a feature where you can just start asking Kraxi questions, and we'll answer it. Very
1: cool. Well, um, this has been great. I, I, I really enjoyed our dinner last night. I'm happy to have you out in uh, in Nashville. It's always a, hopefully a good town to visit. It's been good to you. I love Nashville. Um, Thanks for having us. No, no, no. I mean, look, this is this is awesome, and and like I said, I started this show this way. Is you guys have always been um, a great, uh, a great. Oh shit! How would I say this? Let me think. No, I I started the show this way is you guys have always been, uh, at least for us, a kindred spirit. You know, we we, we were uh, the companies were born in the same year. We're in similar industries, Uh, obviously, just in terms of like pure numbers, you guys are much bigger than us. Uh, But but it's um, we're both both fast growth. Right. And uh, very symbiotic in that our growth. You know, I think helps you and your 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 yeah, totally. growth and and evolvement of your features and improvements, continued improvements, layers upon layers of already very good um, tech tech that you offer, uh, not just to the industry but to us. Um, it's it's been it's been very helpful for us to to get where where we're going. So,
0: well, I, look, man, I've I've admired you as a friend, um, as a as a business leader, uh, and I think everything that I've admired about you along your growth and the explosive growth of Matthews, I think is there's such a pure reflection of it on, on your team and it's just yeah, that I love thank well. you
1: I love the culture crexy and you know it's you some some Matthews people are at crexy some Crexy people are at Matthews and it's yeah. just it's such a cultural fit in that sense yeah. and that's been fun to watch and uh and um it's uh, I just want to get invited to the party.
0: All You're right. Coming. You're coming to all the parties. Hell yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. I think there's a lot. I know there's a lot to take away from, you know, from the listener's sense. And, and it, we always have real estate, but the real estate tech side, this is a first. So that's it's pretty cool in that sense. And uh, just keep, uh, keep being relentless. Thanks for having me, man. All right, my always man. Good it's to good see to see it. you. Yep. Thanks. Yep. Yep.